God is good and all the time. I'm glad that you chose to worship with us today. My name is John, and uh, I don't always cry like this, but isn't God good? Has the grace of God reached you today? Are you enjoying the grace of God? Man, let's not, let's not, um, let's not hold on to it. Let's give it out. Because God's mercy is for everyone, isn't it? And I don't know about you, but I, um, I guess I was convicted this morning in both services through that video and through the worship that oftentimes I really take for granted that I, that I, get, I got to meet Jesus at a really young age. And you know there's people all over the world that have never heard the name of Jesus. You know there's people all in our community that never heard the name of Jesus. And uh, as Stacy already alluded to, there is uh, a couple thousand people coming tonight, all right? So let's show them Jesus, right? Let's show them Jesus. And so I'm thankful for those of you who have already signed up to serve. If you haven't signed up to serve, maybe you're convicted right now that you need to. Show up and serve, all right? We'll find something for you to do, all right? Uh, our administrative uh, pastor, Matt, he did the math. I guess we're going to have like 2,000 corn dogs, and in order to get rid of those, we have to serve 17 a minute, all right? So if you want to help in the kitchen, we might need some help, all right? I, I, uh, I can't eat 17 a minute, so I'm, I'm no help, but I'm excited about tonight. And uh, God's, God's doing great things at Hallmark, and I'm excited to be a part of it. I want to take a moment this morning, direct your attention to the screens. We're going to invite, uh, introduce a few new members. This is uh, Paula Hendricks, and so she has been through our membership class and fill out the membership covenant and is united with our church today. The next one here, I got a several of them, is Brian and Denise Piper, also have been through a membership class actually a few months ago and feel like God is leading them to join the church. And the next one is the Switzers that some of you may be familiar with. And they're coming back to Hallmark. God has redirected them back here. And then uh, the last one is Lisa Wagner. And so could we give them a hand this morning and just celebrate what God is doing in, in their life? And so uh, as I always pray with our new members is that it's a responsibility of our church to minister to them. And that now that they're part of our faith community, it's their responsibility to minister to us. And together, right, we're going to serve uh, together. I'm going to invite you to turn to Matthew 17. I'm going to go through a quick review, hopefully quick review. I wasn't so quick last hour, so I got to do better this hour, but a quick review. We are on the last week of our series, uh, Fight for Your Family. I think there are a few uh, books left in the foyer for free uh, over this title, Fight for Your Family. If you haven't grabbed one, feel free to do that. If you want one and they're gone, talk to me. I'll, I'll be sure and get you one, Okay. But we, I want to give you a quick review. We've been talking about it for three weeks. This is our final week. And the first week that we talked about it, our title was Be Weird. Can you guys see, say Be Weird together on the count of three? Ready? One, two, three. All right. We're all admitted we're already kind of weird anyways, but we're not just talking about don't just be odd, okay? We want to be weird because normal's not working. And what Paul said in Romans chapter 12, he said, don't be conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And what we understand and what we see through Scripture is kind of what we, uh, was kind of an unintended uh, purpose or driver in this series was this verse. It, wasn't, it was never in my notes. It just kind of came out that first week. And I feel like God has just brought it to the surface that 
You're, you as a person, you as a family, you as a married couple, you as an individual, you are, you are being formed or you're being pressed into one of two images. You're either being formed and pressed into the image of culture or you're being formed and pressed into the image of Christ. And as followers of Christ, we want to be conformed, we want to be pressed into the image of Christ. And I think that if you are not intentional, if you're not actively making decisions every single day to put yourself in a position or to put your family in a position to be conformed to the image of Christ, that what's naturally going to happen is you are going to be pressed and formed into the image of culture. And Paul warns us, do not be conformed to culture. Be weird because normal isn't working. The second week, and we kind of spent two weeks on this title, Pass the Baton, right? We want to, uh, I, I made this statement that I don't believe that I could say that I've run my race well unless I've prepared someone else to run their race well. Uh, this could be in the context of parenting, but it's also just in the context of church and a discipleship. Paul talked about that. Paul said that he told Timothy, the things that you've heard and learned from me, give these to other faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So we asked two questions based on that thought last week. And here are the two questions that we ask on the screen. Are you completely surrendered to God? Again, we're trying to make this applicable for parents, but this, this question is not just for parents, is it? This question is for grandparents and aunts and uncles and single adults and students and elementary kids, and we are supposed to ask this question, am I completely surrendered to God? The second question is, are you passing your faith to someone? Are you actively passing your faith to someone? Again, I think as you have influence whether that's in your home, outside of your home, workplace, your career, your, your activities, your hobbies, you have influence. Are you actively engaging culture and passing your faith to the next generation? We looked at the story of Eli and Samuel. And remember, Eli was a priest, and he trained Samuel, and Samuel became the priest. And both Eli and Samuel had two sons. Both Eli and Samuel's two sons also became priests. And both Eli and Samuel's two sons who became priests became bad priests. They did not follow God. And we saw in Scripture in 1 Samuel chapter 3, the reason that God judged Eli was because it said he loved his children more than he loved God. And we talked that week about how that has permeated our culture. Our culture is um, kids first, everything else second. Like it's our kids' experience, and they got to have this, and they got to have this, and they got to do this, and they got to do this. And seriously, our culture has placed our kids as our God. And it's exactly what Eli did. He put his kids before God, and anything that we put before God has become our God. Now, Eli made a mistake. Then we see Samuel. Samuel was a priest, and Samuel had two boys. And it says in, in Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 8 that his two boys became priests. They also didn't follow God. It says that they... They stole, they, had bri they, they bribed people, they used their influence and their authority as the priest to bribe people, they perverted justice, and so his kids also failed to follow God. And I confess to you last week that most of my life, especially most of my 
adult life, that when I read the story of Eli and Samuel, it always saddened me, and I always had this thought about Samuel. I always thought, well, Samuel was so good as a priest and a prophet, but man, he didn't do a good job passing his faith on to his boys. And I had a little bit of a, uh, this may shock you, that sometimes in the church we get a little bit of a judgmental spirit. Like, I don't know if you've ever experienced it, but maybe some legalism that creeps into church, right? And I remember before I became a parent and I was a student pastor, I had all the answers on how you should pastor or, or parent your kids. And I remember having those conversations with students and my judgmental, legalistic mind would say, yeah, man, if only his, if only his or her parents would have done better, they wouldn't be so terrible. And I blame the parents. I'm confessing, okay? Some of you, that's you right now. I'm sorry. You know what hit me a few, actually last year? That nowhere in Scripture do we read where God reprimanded Samuel for how he raised his boys. It's not in Scripture. In fact, what I see is that the Scriptures teach us that not any words of the Lord fell from Samuel. And it seems like even if you go, we looked at this last week in 1 Samuel chapter number 12, that when Eli was about to leave the scene, it says he was old and gray-headed. When he was about to leave the scene, he was going to anoint King Saul as the first king of Israel. And he had a conversation with the nation of Israel. And here's what he said. He said, have, have I stolen from you? And the people were witnesses and they said, no. Have I bribed you? And the witnesses said, no. Have I perverted justice? And the witnesses said, no. And what were the three things that his boys did? They stole, they bribed, and they perverted justice. And what that taught me, again, it kind of was a shift in my own mind thinking, listen, here, here's what I think the church has done a poor job of, of that we have, uh, we have presented Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. We have presented this verse as this is a promise. And if you'll do A, B, and C, you're always going to get one, two, and three. Therefore, when I would meet with your students and say, oh, they're not really living for the God, parents must not be good. They're fake Christians. Man, you guys are like judging me with my, your eyes now. Because <laughs> you guys thought the same thing. Parents, you've done it. You've looked at other kids and thought, well, well, yeah. Their parents, if only, if they lived in my house for a week, I'd change them, right? We've all, we've all thought it. Let's just admit it, okay? Here's the point. What happens when we claim principles of God's words that are promises? Then we infer on something on God that he never intended. So how does that play out? If I believe that this is the promise of God. If I do this, this, and this, I'm always gonna, my kid's always gonna do the right thing. It's gonna lead to two outcomes. It's gonna lead to what I call the blame game. And you're gonna blame one of two people. You're gonna blame yourself, or you're gonna blame God. That's it. What I wanna encourage you is, as a parent, godly parenting should be obedience-focused, not outcome-focused. In other words, I, God has given me, children are a gift of God. They're a heritage from the Lord, and God has gifted me them, and I'm supposed to steward the gift they've given. 
In other words, I'm responsible for how I raise my kids, not how they turn out. And over the years, many years in ministry, I've sat with a lot of parents who've played the blame game because I think we as the church have presented truth wrong. Now, I, the first week of this series, I told you the reason I'm qualified to get up here and preach on Five Year Family is because I'm like the perfect father. My kids aren't in here. I can say that. I'm the perfect husband. My wife's really, my wife's really quiet, so I can get away with it. Has there, has there ever been a perfect father? There's a lot of rumbling there. Has, is there a perfect father? Is it me? Who is it? It's God the Father, isn't it? And you're his kids. Have you ever messed up? Is it God's fault? God created mankind in perfection. Adam and Eve. Put them in the perfect world. Perfect father. And what did his kids do? They messed it up. So mom and dad, you have a responsibility to raise your kids to find and follow Jesus, but they have a responsibility to choose Jesus. And, and so stop living in guilt. It's not your fault. And I pray for those of you in the room that have experienced that, that this principle will be evident in your child's life. That when they are old, they'll come back to Jesus. I pray that for you. But I want to release you of that guilt because it's not on you. There's no perfect father except one. We are his kids, and I don't know about you, but I mess up a lot. All right, let's get into our message this morning. All right, we're going to skip on to what we... um, The title this morning is Giving Your Kids Straight A's. How many of you, are, you were straight-A student? Anybody in here a straight-A student? Okay, how many of you think that I was a straight-A student? Is there, is there one person? Sean, thank you. I got a $100 bill. I'm, not just, I'm just kidding. I'm not even going to comment. We're not talking about grades in school. We're talking about straight A's. And I'm going to take you to like maybe a not so familiar passage of scripture when we talk about parenting. Okay. It's not what the passage is about. Matthew chapter 17. Let me give you the context of it. Jesus is up on the side of a mountain as he often was when he's, when he's teaching. But instead of a crowd, he's got three, three guys with him, Peter, James, and John. What would when you look at scripture, what you would think is the inner circle of the disciples. Like he has the closest relationship with these three men of anyone else on the earth. Just about uh, a week prior to this conversation that we're about to jump in the middle of, Jesus had told all of the disciples that he was going to be uh, arrested, that he was going to suffer, that he was going to die, that he was going to come back to life. And it seems like what Jesus is doing in this story, in this few verses. He's allowing Peter, James, and John to get a glimpse of his glory. 
They've only known Jesus as Jesus the man. But we believe, as what Scripture would teach us, that Jesus was fully man, but he was also fully God. And for this brief moment of time that we're going to jump in and look at this text, these three men got to see something no one else got to see. They got to see the glorified body of Christ. And what theologians then would term this as this transfiguration of Christ. This word basically meaning metamorphosis. They saw Jesus' body change. From um, what they knew him as, Jesus the man, they got to see Jesus' glorified body. Wouldn't that have been pretty cool? Guess what? If you're a follower of Jesus, you're going to get to see him like that one day. And so they're on top of the hill. Let's read the text. Matthew 17. Now after six days, so this is after the conversation, six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as light. Behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with them. And the, the symbolism here is Moses and Elijah, they represent uh, the law and the prophets. And remember what Jesus said. We talked about this a few months ago when we went through the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said that he didn't come to abolish the law, but he came to do what? He came to fulfill the law. And this is pointing to that, that he has now the, the greater Moses, the greater Elijah, that he is, in fact, God. Okay? So, verse number four. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And if you've studied the New Testament very often, you realize Peter often says the wrong thing at the wrong time. I, I like the next thing because it's like Peter is, this is not the, you don't want to say, Peter, this is not the time. Like, be quiet. I'll use the nice word, be quiet. And then I love in verse number five, it's like Peter's continuing on his dialogue and he says, while he was still speaking, behold, a bright, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. When they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. And so we see this really cool experience that Peter, James, and John have with Jesus. They see the glorified body of Christ. They see God, they see Jesus in all of his glory. And then Jesus tells them, don't, wait, hold on, don't tell anybody until after the resurrection. And this experience changed their life. In fact, John wrote about it in John chapter 1 and verse 14. He said, we beheld his glory, and it was amazing. Peter wrote about it in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16 through 18, and he said that we saw him in all his majesty. And then he goes on to quote what God the Father said. So the point of this passage is really Jesus showing to these three men, because they're about to go through a lot of junk. And he's wanting to re reveal to them who he really is. He is God. So that's the primary point of this passage. But I want to just take some application 
four points, the giving your kids straight A's from this one sentence, this one conversation that God says, God the Father speaking to God the Son. Let's look at verse number five again. While he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. Suddenly a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved Son who I am well pleased. Hear him. And I think there's four things. I think this, these points of application I think they go beyond, I think there's more application than just from like parent-child relationship. I think it's probably in all relationship we have that these are four things that we need, four things that you could invest uh, in your spouse, that you could speak into your spouse, or uh, maybe even coworkers. Like this is just normal, kind of common relationship, but especially when we're talking about children. The first one is this. We need to give your kids straight A's. The first one is attention. It doesn't take long to get on the social media scene, if you're on that at all, to know that we all like attention. It doesn't take long as a parent to know your kids like attention. Remember when they're a little kid at the pool and there's daddy, watch me, daddy, watch me, watch this, watch this. Yes, I've seen you do that 30 million times in the last hour, right? You guys ever had that conversation? Yes, I know you can jump off the couch. That's great. Mom said not to. But anyways, they, they demand your attention. Can I tell you something, parent? Someone will give them attention. And I hope it's you. Your kids need your attention. This moment at the transfiguration of Christ, God the Father shows up. He was present. At the baptism of Christ, you know who also spoke at the baptism of Christ? God said almost the exact same thing. He showed up. Parents, being a good parent and giving your kid the attention they need, you're going to have to make some choices. I, I, I used to, I mean, I guess I still, I used to love to golf. And I used to golf almost every Friday until my kids got into school. And then every Friday on my day off, I would go to their school. And I would eat lunch, usually first with uh, Blair when she got into kindergarten because they had lunch first. And then I would go out to recess and push every stinking, and I mean stinking kid, on the playground. Then I would go back to lunch with Blake and then we go out to the playground, and you know what I would do? Those are really stinky kids, you know? And I don't say that to brag on myself. I say that the choices you make when they're little, the time you choose to give them when they're little, it'll pay back dividends when they're older. Give, give your kid attention. A few years ago, when we moved back to Texas, I went to McAllister's, and um, this lady at the register, she said, are, are you Blake's dad? Uh, and I was like, I don't know. <laughs> May, maybe. <laughs> I was like, which, which Blake are you talking about? Yeah, I'm Blake's dad. And I'm like, who are you? I mean, I don't know who this girl is. She's like 22 years old. And she said, uh, I'm so-and-so, you used to push me on the swings when we were little kids. 
It's like, oh, cool. I'm sorry. I, you've changed a lot, right? And she said, uh, I used to call you monkey ears. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I, I remember you. I'll try to push her out of that swing, but... The Attention. The second one is affection. God the Father said to God the Son, this is my beloved Son. Your kids need your attention and they need your affection. They, don't, they, they probably, probably, I'm going to give us all the benefit of the doubt, they probably know you love them. And that's not the most important thing. It's whether they feel like you love them. And I'm going to give you a resource. You might want to write it down. It's called the, the Five Love Languages. You can Google it. I talk about it a lot, so I'm sure some of you already know about this. But the Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman. You can Google it, and you can um, put in there Five Love Languages quiz and take the test and find out what your love language is. I'll give you the, as quickly as I can the basic premise of the book. That is that we all, there's five love languages you see on the screen, and, and we all speak one of those languages. We naturally uh, receive love in the language that we speak, or we naturally speak love in the language that we receive. What's interesting is that uh, in our family, Joy and I and our two kids, we all spoke a different language. Okay, and so this is why it's important for you to know. Because your kids may know you love them, but they, not, they may not feel loved. If they don't feel love, they're going to act because they need love. Okay? And it may lead them to act inappropriately. Okay? Because they're craving attention and they're craving affection. And so you may have good intentions. I do this, this, and this all the time. But if it's not, the way they, it's, if it's not their love language, it's, they're not receiving in it. It's not filling their love tank. Okay? So, like for us, my love language is words of affirmation. All I need to feel loved is for every morning joy to get up and say, wow, you are a stud. <laughs> that's all I need. Okay? So waiting, but that's all I need. Now, her love language is acts of service. What she needs me to do is the dishes. And she's still waiting right now. So here's what naturally, I'm really good at writing her notes, telling her I'm proud of her, I love her, all those things. I'm really good at that. Why am I so good at that? Because it's my love language. She's really good at doing things for me, and I'm thankful for that. And what we had to understand is like, for her to feel loved, I got to speak her language. For me to feel loved, she's got to speak my language. Blake's was quality time. This is why I convinced him when he was four years old that he should ask Santa Claus for a PlayStation 2. <laughs> and we spent a lot of quality time, quality time together. Blair's is gifts. Again, we figured this out and read this book a long time ago when our kids were little. And, the, and what's still in my mind, what I remember, how we figured out Blair's is that you could take her in a room when she was like four years old, you know, a picture usually in like some princess outfit, and she would go into every, you say, where, where did that come from? Oh, Mimi got that for me when, for my birthday, and Grammy got me that for, my, uh, for Christmas, and you gave me that at such and such, and, and she knew everything in her room, who gave it to her and when they gave it to her. Oh, her language is gifts. This is going to be expensive, right? So I, I could take all day and talk about this. I'll encourage you to look up the resource. Because 
I think it's, again, this goes beyond just me to my kids. It's how you love your spouse well. Because what your, what your kids need most from you, this is a, a side message here, mom and dad, is they need to know that mom and dad love mom and dad. And your spouse needs to feel loved. Hopefully they know you love them, but they need to feel loved. All right, so attention, affection, and then uh, the next one is appreciation. God the Father says to God the Son, in whom I'm well pleased. To appreciate one another, your spouse, your kids. I, I just got three things I'll tell you. I, I think application on, on attention or appreciation, excuse me. I would say this, appreciate the gift of your children. Children are a gift of God. They're a heritage of the Lord. God has blessed you with kids. Appreciate that. Appreciate the gift in your children. Like your kids are uniquely created by God for a purpose. It's your job as a parent to figure out that gift, encourage that gift, help develop that gift, not for their good, not for their glory, but for God's glory. To develop the gift that God has placed in them. Remember what God told Jeremiah. Before you and your mother's womb, I formed you, I knew you, I had a purpose for you. And how much easier, or maybe intentionally we could be as a parent if we realize that God did that for our child. And it's our job to nurture that gift so that they can use that gift for God's glory. So appreciate the gift of your child, the gift in your child. And the third one is appreciate the season you're in. Because the easiest thing to do as a parent is to hope and wish, I cannot wait till they start eating, walking, going to school, driving, get out of my house. <laughs> and quickly the seasons go. And you only have so much time that you can give them. In invest in your child. The fourth one Attention, affection, appreciation, and then the last one is affirmation. To affirm them, God the Father said to God the Son, hear him, listen. He, what, he's, what he says is good. He's going to affirm the Son, Jesus, that his message is a good message. And what we can do for our kids in affirming them is, is, is really by our words. See, our words for our kids are either going to direct them or destroy them. James talks a lot about our tongue and the power of our tongue. We don't have time to unpack all of that. But use your words wisely. I want you to write these words down. And I want you to practice them. I want you to use them on your, on your children, your spouse. You got a pen ready, your phone notes ready, all right? Here's the first set. Three words, I love you. Your kids should hear that every day. Can you say that out loud on the count of three? Can we just say I love you together? Ready, one, two, three. I love you. The next one, five words here. I'm proud of you. I am proud of you. It's powerful words for your kids. And guess what? Your kids don't get too old to hear that. Keep telling him, I'm proud of you. And the next set of words, four words here. You are good at. You fill it in. 
Your, your words have the power to either direct or destroy. And mom and dad, husbands, wives, grandmas, grandpas, let's, let's choose our words wisely. Because I don't, I, I'm, I'm pretty convinced that most of you, most of you love each other and you love your kids. But your kids feel loved. I hope so. And I think here's some, some practical steps to assure that. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning with your eyes closed. Would you just stand and eyes closed, just in a spirit of prayer this morning? I, I just want to pray over you as we kind of finish this series on fighting for our family. And I, I want to pray blessings over your home, over your marriage. Some of you have adult kids who are far from God, and I want to pray for you. I want to pray that God would bring them back to God. Some of you are in the middle of raising kids, and maybe you've got teenagers, and wow, you really need some encouragement today, and I just want to pray over you today as well. And we're going to sing in a moment this simple song, Good, Good Father. We, we have a great Father, a Heavenly Father who loves us, and maybe today we just need to lean into Him. God, I thank you for this day. I, th I thank you for the moments we have to just hear your word. Lord, you know every situation in this room. You know the, the spouses in the room that need to work at loving each other more and better and be intentional. You know the, the parents in the room who are hurting right now because they're stuck in the middle of the blame game and they just need to know that you love them. Lord, there's parents in the room who are in the middle of uh, raising teenagers. And Lord, I just pray this morning that you would encourage us, that you would give us the resolve to fight for our families, that you would give us the resolve to fight for our marriages, that you would give us the boldness to be weird, to conform into the image of Christ. And God, I pray that this church and the, the families and the individuals and this faith community would be a light into this local community. Lord, we love you. We thank you. This morning as we sing, you're welcome to come to the altar and pray. Just seek God. We're, we're just going to sing this morning about our good, good Father.